So joining me today from New Delhi is Dr. Navsharan Singh, who has been an advocate for the current farmers' protests that are taking place in India. So I wanted to ask you, you know, since you've been, uh, you know, active in the farmers' protests, you know, over the past year, and I'm going to assume longer than that, um, can you give us a sense of like where things stand now, you know, with the with the farmers' protests um, that are going on right now? Um, yes, um, as you know, farmers came to Delhi on November 26th, and it's over four months um, today um, since they have been camping at the borders um, in Delhi. And um, actually, the protests began in Punjab a few months before they came to um, um, the decision that they should be moving to Delhi. So it's kind of over eight months uh, since the farmers have been protesting and when, when the farm protest began in the regions and basically it was led from Punjab and Punjab saw the first movement as soon as the farm ordinance came out and I think it was end of May or June um, they started talking to unions started talking to their um, farmers in the villages and started mobilizing understanding first what the implications of the bills were and then they started mobilizing so today it's over eight months since the protests began and um, to, even when the media is completely blacked out on any news from farmers at the moment you don't find any news people sometimes ask me is the farm protest still on because there are uh, there's no coverage um, so um, according to the police day before yesterday the police said um, according to their estimates there are about 40,000 farmers in the camps so if the police is saying 40,000, um, we can easily assume that there are um, more than um, the, this number who are still present on the borders. Um, and the movement has expanded uh, tremendously. It's no longer a movement of Punjab and Haryana. It has reached several parts of India, and has become a national movement. Several other sectors have joined um, and done one or two days solidarity strike with the farmers. Several others like bank unions, lawyers, um, mm -hmm. um, teachers, students, um, Anganwadi workers, industrial labor, they have marked various days over these months um, came out in solidarity with farmers, um, strike or um, general professions right. and camping with the farmers. Several writers, poets, um, sports people, theater personalities have returned their awards, state awards in solidarity and uh, to protest against the farm bills. Uh, right. Several of them. Um, toll plazas in Punjab and Haryana continue to be picketed by basically women um, and farmers, and they remain toll-free till date. Um, so solidarity messages have come from several other parts of the world and not limited to Punjabi diaspora only from across. Um, Canada's biggest union, Canadian Labour Congress, CLC, mm -hmm. uh, Canadian Union of Public Employees, QP, um, 
Postal Workers Union and also Ontario Federation of Labor, United Steel Workers of Canada, um, Toronto and York Region Labor Council, and many more have endorsed solidarity message to India's protesting farmers. There was also a message um, for far farmers from the United States Mm -hmm. which appeared in the New York Times. There was a full page ad which more than 100 unions in the United States um, um, sent a message and they said, the message read that you have ignited one of the largest protests in human history and from the fields of Punjab to Kerala to the borders of Delhi. Mm. Um, they said the farmer's voice is echoing and now we raise our voice in solidarity. Right. That's what the New York Times um, had said. So, and we also know that Greta Thunberg, Rihanna, Mina Harris and other prominent figures tweeted about the farm protest in India um, and um, and there's, there's a rising um, um, level of solidarity, solidarity which is being expressed. Mm. Thousands of women are also camping mm. at these protest sites um, from Punjab, Haryana, Uttar Pradesh. And these are the women who've never been part of any public protest. They've never came out in public like this. And now today they are fighting shoulder to shoulder with the camp. So today the movement, you asked me what is happening today. Mm -hmm. Today the movement is standing tall um, with all these achievements at its back. Right. So it's a strong movement still. I want to go back to specifically the 1960s, um, you know, talking about the Green Revolution and how that has sort of impacted India's agricultural industry. Um, if you can briefly talk about that and, and um, you know, perhaps the impacts of that. Sure. Um, looking back, Punjab became the chosen site for Green Revolution way back in the 1960s, as we all know. Um, and uh, the U.S. Um, aid um, agency uh, said that it was meant to be a new revolution in India, unlike the Red Revolution of uh, Russia or the White Revolution of Shah. And um, they called it a Green Revolution because it was to increase in um, the food production and um, contribute to food security in India mm. and this was green revolution was nothing but a technological revolution um, which was based on the development of high yielding varieties of crops um, cereal grains basically um, through hybridized seeds synthetic fertilizers and pesticides expansion of irrigation infrastructure and modernization of management techniques for farming uh, that means um, there was uh, now to be uh, a big entry of the agribusiness in um, India's agriculture through this. Um, and um, as a result of uh, this, uh, the crops uh, yield um, actually doubled, tripled, and quadrupled um, in the 60s and 70s. And this uh, transformed the image of Punjab, which was actually where the Green Revolution began. And India became food secure. 
through this technology, through the 70s. So um, as we know, the success of Green Revolution attracted a lot of attention um, and research attention also, as India was a very poor country, food scares and uh, high degrees of malnutrition, hunger, etc. And with Green Revolution and uh, the quadrupling of uh, yields, this was to end. Um, so reams were written about the success of the technology and um, Punjab became um, the entrepreneurial Punjabi farm became farmer became the poster boy of Green Revolution. Um, it was only around the mid 70s. So from 61 to mid 70s, it's, it's all gungo. Um, crop yields increasing and everything going right. well. Um, Around the mid-70s, the strings of technology began to grow on the body politic of the state. And the gulf between rich and poor farmers began to widen so much that it became very evident in the lifestyles, in um, people's perception of the gaps of income actually became so palpable that a serious uh, approach uh, and studies also began to look at the impact of Green Revolution. And soon it was found that it was only Green Revolution actually made the incomes and situation better of the farmers who were big farmers. Mm. Uh, it did not help the um, small farmers who could actually did not could not afford uh, very much um, the the expensive technology. So there were field studies done in the 80s, um, which pointed to uh, to these um, differential impacts of mm. green revolution on farm incomes and farmers' own um, conditions, right. um, and um, the small and marginal farmers and uh, which is important to underline is that over 65 percent of farmers in Punjab and over 85 percent uh, of uh, farmers all India are small and marginal right um, so it's so it's a technology which rose on the backs of small and uh, marginal who were not actually um, gained so much on the mm -hmm. the yield multiplied the crops grew yes. um, technology was adopted but it also led to other consequences um, um, and if you ask me uh, how things shifted uh, in agriculture after mm -hmm. this um, the gains of the technology began to peter out um, by the early late 80s or early 90s right. and uh, Punjab and other areas where green revolution technology began, they started plunging into a serious uh, series of serious crises. Mm -hmm. uh, the yield stagnated, additional increments in yield could only be uh, gained at a very high marginal cost. Uh, as a consequence, the per hectare net return again plummeted, um, pushing agriculture into crisis. The small mm -hmm. farmers who had thus far managed um, the precarious balance between high input costs and the price of their produce, they came under heavy debts as food prices also began to plummet mm -hmm. in the global food market. 
So the tractors, the tube wells, the seeds and fertilizer, all bought on credit um, on the policy advice of uh, not only the state, but agricultural universities um, um, and marketing campaigns of uh, aggressive marketing campaigns of the private companies, they became millstones um, around the farmer's neck. Mm. And we are talking of late 80s and the right. 90s now. And peasants plunged into deep indebtedness. Um, and according to surveys which were done, Government of India surveys, um, in 2005, the average amount of outstanding loan on each farmer household uh, in Punjab was highest among the all states. And a little later, a survey found that 89% of marginal and 91% of farmers in uh, small farmers were under debt. Mm. So it, it's debt indebtedness all across. Uh, so the crisis was um, completely evident in falling productivity, stagnating farm prices, rising cost of production, shrinking incomes and employment opportunities and mounting debts. Mm -hmm. So uh, as the employment um, uh, avenues for youth were not expanding anywhere in all these areas, uh, of green revolution, right. especially Punjab, desperate unemployed youth waited with bated breaths to get their visas to Canada, to the States, to any country. And um, if a hundred years ago, if you know the history uh, of India's migration to Canada, we know that a hundred years ago, uh, the despairing peasantry from Punjab started to go to um, U US and Canada, um, and that was under the British rule. Right. And they came to be known as waging a war against British imperialism through a party which was constituted um, in North America called the Hindustan Gadar Party. And um, um, rural Punjab, which still celebrated the legacy of Kamagata Maru, the ship which carried Indian uh, people to Canada and was stopped at the Vancouver Harbor at the time. And um, it, it's still regarded as um, synonymous with Canada's discrimination and racial uh, policy against right. uh, far Punjabi farmers, relentless fight for the right to entry in Canada. Uh, Punjab in the 90s um, actually began seeing youth from Punjab dying in icy cold waters um, in Malta, trying to enter illegally into um, Greece, for instance. So these news were flashing across, which were also a way in which the crisis, the agriculture crisis, was manifesting. So it was not only manifesting in um, declining farm productivity, falling incomes, but also desperation all around, um, uh, which was evident. Right. And further, as farming became um, unviable, a large number of farmers also started to leave agriculture. Um, and after the 90s, the number of small holdings actually began to decline. According to data, during the 2000, uh, 72,000 farmers in Punjab itself um, sold their land and of the people who sold off their land uh, a fifth or over a fifth actually became agriculture laborers 
they did not find anything else um, but they had to become they had to go to labor market to sell just their labor um, also uh, important to note here is that in um, we we started seeing at the same time high number of suicides of farmers right. uh, uh, because the farmers could not repay their loans they started killing themselves um, sulfas which is um, a insecticide which is used um, in farm crops actually became synonymous with uh, farmer suicides so um, and uh, in india um, all over india from 2000 to 2015 in 15 years when government um, data is available over 300000 farmers killed themselves mm. um and it became so rampant that after 2015 um government of india actually stopped collecting data on similarly um in punjab um, in this period there were 17000 deaths of farmers um which means in the tiny state of punjab there were three suicides every day and something which is not well known is that it was not only farmers who were killing themselves but also agriculture labor who are also dependent on um, agriculture because if uh, farmers fail um, agriculture labor also get yeah. into indebtedness and they so they killed uh, uh, agriculture labor also killed um, itself um in suicides in punjab so 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 this is the the state of agrarian crisis right. um from where uh, this movement uh, the present movement actually uh, emanated and the biggest um, um lesson that emerged was uh, and now that farmers are camping in delhi um, so wherever you go to those uh, encampments they are talking and there are leaders mm. who are addressing them and they are all saying what did we get out of a uh, green right. revolution we killed the diversity of our crops we killed we we developed into monocultures of cropping we killed number of crops which used to grow we we actually destroyed our livelihoods and we ended up um, um becoming penniless and now sitting at delhi border seeking some relief from um government of india mm. and um there's also a special mention it has to be made of women women farmers and women labor who became so completely got written out of policy um in the in this agrarian crisis so much so that they lost all bargaining power in labor market so not only they became very very marginal to uh labor market um, will not even receive uh minimum wage but also uh, their social standing plummeted so much that uh, their bodily integrity their uh, bodily autonomy sexual safety were also put on line and we saw um, and we've still been seeing rates of women um, rural women dalit women on a large scale because it doesn't matter to anyone um, what um, what goes on for them because they they've completely written out of um, any right. policy or any thinking or so mm. that's that's where um, um, these are some of the biggest implications of uh, and mm. um, where we have reached
it from starting from 60s where you start mm. ask me the question on mm. green revolution what happened right. and where we are now how did that how did that impact the agricultural industry and the government like how did that impact their relationship because i'm i'm sure like there's little trust in the in, in the indian government there um, is little trust absolutely how did, how did that sort of you know develop over time did they lose the trust over time or did they find ways to negotiate with the indian government um i mean they did try to negotiate um all of the 90s and 2000 um as i was talking agrarian crisis began to mount people started killing themselves there, there was overall grief the green revolution was completely um ashen with grief um, so so they uh, farmers have been protesting um um, in many areas in Maharashtra, in uh, Punjab, where suicides are, and in Andhra Pradesh, where suicide rate of farmers is very high. Every time a farmer dies, um, there is a protest. People gather mm -hmm. and they call it institutional murder uh, because people die because uh, they kill themselves because there's no option for them. And these are, um, as farm leaders have also been saying, they are policy-induced, institutionalized um, killings of farmers um, that um, they've been reduced to make this choice. So um, there've been very strong protests and also demands on state seeking accountability, right. seeking compensation for the families because farmers are also breadwinners um, and when they die they leave their families with huge amounts of debt where their land is confiscated no employment opportunities for women and um, it's actually women are facing the crisis uh, in much more intense terms because they have to put the food on table they have to send children to school right. uh, whereas um, when the farmers kill themselves so farmers have been agitating seeking compensation and which has happened now uh, in number of states when a farmer dies um, and it can be proved that uh, the person died because he could not repay the loan uh, there's a compensation which come, however meager uh, the compensation is, but it, it's a hard one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, farmers have also been asking for more subsidies, making farm input uh, prices um, uh, under control so that uh, they don't rise. They've been seeking higher price of their crops. Right. So uh, there's an atmosphere of um, uh, generally... Uh, people uh, in the farming communities not taking it lying down. They're protesting. Mm -hmm. And these protests have been going on for the last two decades at least. When many of the farm unions who we see now at Delhi borders have been working um, in the villages. But these protests are also quite localized. Um, they never made an, the kind of impact we are seeing now in Delhi. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you were a movement watcher, if you were following what's happening there they've been protests um, uh, on various uh, aspects um, which mm. the agrarian crisis is bringing to farmers lives right um, and um, so so it's been going on so you you said that it's been it's been going on for the for the 
past two decades, um, but we're only we're only hearing about the impact right now. Is that a problem in terms of in terms of uh, you know perhaps providing help for India's farmers? You know why is this only you know why is it only reaching a global scale at this at this moment? Why hasn't it been why hasn't it been done like yeah. this before? I mean, there was despair, uh, but they were also in, there are regional political parties um, which have been providing small succor to, to farmers, uh, like I said, in terms of uh, um, things like um, waiving off of debt, uh, mm -hmm. subsidies on electricity, um, a higher, a somewhat higher price for inputs, institutionalized credit, and such things have been happening to give farmers some amount of relief and protection. So, um, so the things hadn't reached a tipping point. Things reached a tipping point with the new three, uh, three new farm laws, right. um, which we can. Um, certainly talk about that that's where the farmers said a death knell um, has been sounded mm. on farming as they knew it because that would make farming completely unsustainable and they will be left with no choice but to sell their land so in terms of what you said about um, why now when there are um, mm, schemes also which have been introduced as you um, also would know that there was a very big uh, um, prime minister's um, prime minister modi's insurance crop insurance scheme mm -hmm. which was launched in 2016 um, and but despite this and this particular scheme if you talk about it actually one of india's um, uh, very well known um, uh, rural journalist P. Sainath um, called it, um, in fact, he called it uh, this uh, insurance scheme a scam bigger than the Rafale deal, um, which um, um, is uh, well known in India when the choppers were bought uh, from France and big paybacks um, um, have probably been done. So it was a scam. And similarly, this particular insurance scheme, which was launched in 2016, mm -hmm. in fact, um, uh, it was built by farmers paying 1.5 to 2% premium uh, to buy this insurance at the start of the cropping season. Mm -hmm. And if the crop failed, they would get. Um, um, some insurance and what turns out to be that um, in this process the insurance companies and the private banks which are so were associated with these they made huge profits mm -hmm. they made so uh, such huge profits that according to insurance regulatory and development authority of india annual report in the scheme second year in 17 2017-18 11 private insurance company had earned a profit of 3000 crores uh, which is 433 million dollars from crop insurance alone and these are the companies which did not return any profit in the previous year mm. so all this was um, and that's what um, it 
meant when it is said that insurance, crop insurance, which came with a guarantee, which came with such lofty uh, proclamations that this is the biggest crop insurance right. scheme ever launched in the world in support of farmers was actually um, a big facade hmm. or a scam. Hmm. Wow. And you've mentioned, um, you know, the, there's, there's three new laws that are, um, that are promised to these farmers. But um, before we get into that, um, the, the farmers are saying that the, there's existing protections that are now, that are in place, but were not working. Um, can you speak to, can you speak to what those existing protections yeah. were? And yeah, why, sure. I mean, why they weren't there are, well, quickly, there are not many uh, schemes except that the largest uh, one of minimum support price of all the crops, mm -hmm. which uh, Government of India um, uh, announces before the crop is sown, and then it guarantees to buy it back. Uh, on that minimum support price. So, so that's a big um, incentive for farmers to keep growing the crops in which MSP is announced. Um, although there are fewer farmers who are protected under MSP because the market structure doesn't exist for many states. But in Punjab, Haryana, Western Uttar Pradesh, uh, farmers are able to sell over 90% of their crop on the minimum support price and they do not have to suffer the uh, highs and lows uh, of the uh, private market mm. um, because the markets can go up or lower depending on the global food prices also so they are protected against that then there is a big scheme uh, in india which is called enam national agriculture market um, it's an online trading platform launched by the government in 2016 and it is through online trading that farmers are um, can take the benefit of uh, and sell their crops uh, in the markets which have the highest price and this enam was uh, supposed to double farmers income or increase farmers income but again the evidence is that farmers have not been able to use these platforms because of various reasons because of the levels of literacy, the levels of uh, connectivity to mm -hmm. markets, um, it still remains very small um, in focus. Then there is a bigger scheme which was launched again by Prime Minister Modi, uh, which is called Pradhan Mantri Kisan Samman Nidhi, which is um, roughly translated into PM's Kisan Tribute Fund. The, um, the prime minister is paying a tribute to farmers and which is um, an income of 6,000 rupees uh, mm -hmm. to each uh, farming family um, every year. So it comes to 17 rupees a day for each farming family or 500 rupees um, uh, every month. Uh, again, this was launched with the big fanfare that a huge amount is being transferred, but given the level of indebtedness of the uh, um, which exists in farming sector, um, mm -hmm. farmers are under heavy debt, this 17 rupees a day subsidy doesn't go very far. Yeah. 
um, and also there remain uh, disbursement issues. There are fake accounts uh, which have been generated uh, just to get this money. And um, um, despite the fact that farmers are reeling under poverty, last year's um, uh, figures show that only two thirds of the funds which were kept aside for distribute fund were actually used. So there's a disbursement crisis also. Um, and these are some of the schemes which are the flagship schemes of Government of India. And we know that this is how they are functioning. There's also a scheme of uh, um, irrigation. There's um, huge amounts which is pumped into rural areas uh, which uh, uh, with a slogan that each field will be irrigated. Mm -hmm. um, and there is water conservation involved in that. But once again, uh, the evaluations of this scheme, which was launched in 2017, I think, um, or 2018, uh, that nothing has happened um, and we don't even know whether the proclaimed 50,000 crores which the Prime Minister mentioned are going to be given out um, uh, to launch this scheme is actually spent or not. I read an article that said you know farmers actually they, they need these new reforms they need these new changes because you know they might not have access to these tools, you know, that, that Western farmers have, but this could benefit them. What do you, how do you respond to that in, in saying that this could be beneficial to them? It's true that farm sector actually needs uh, reforms. Um, there is no denying, but it needs reforms to make farming sustainable and not unsustainable. Mm -hmm. So the sector needs reforms, for instance, in the market system such that more markets are established nearer to where farmers are. And uh, as I said in the beginning, there are 86% farmers in India who are small and marginal. They don't have the means to take their crop to far-fetched areas wherever there is high price. They have to sell it to the next person in their own village or village or or a mandi which is or a market which is close by so um, reforms are needed and many people say that um, the market system is not functioning so why keep it mm -hmm. but but the thing is that given the um, large scale uh, small uh, farmers, existence of small farmers, uh, they cannot be thrown to the private sharks. Just as we can say that India's public health system is not working very well. India's public education system is not working very well. But we try and reform it rather than shut it and mm. throw poor people to private schools, to private hospitals, where will where they will not have the purchasing power to even enter. Mm -hmm. So yes, reforms are needed um, in agriculture sector, but uh, they are needed to make um, uh, farming more sustainable. Um, government needs to create more employment opportunities outside the farm sector so that the next generation can 
transition to new jobs, uh, which is non-existing. Um, India has been, India's growth has been uh, zero employment uh, generation or only very dirty demeaning and degrading jobs which are being created in urban centers, which are daily wage laborers, which are only delivery, which don't even give you enough to sustain yourself if you don't have small pieces of land back home in the villages. And that's what we all saw during the lockdown when uh, March last year, when um, India, government of India uh, announced a lockdown at a um, mere four hour notice, all industry was shut, livelihoods were lost, um, everybody was asked to stay in. And workers who are mostly daily wage workers, um, um, about more than 100 million of them, they were reduced to punery. They had no savings. They make money in the morning and eat at, in the evening. And they then, when lockdown was imposed, they started walking back to their villages because the cities had turned their backs and government did not give any clear message that they will be cared for, that they will be fed and they will be cared if they fall sick. So they started walking back and the world saw migrant labor in India walking up to 500, 600 kilometers yeah. uh, from the cities back to their villages. So to say, uh, yes, farming sector needs improvement it needs reforms but it needs reforms to uh, become more sustainable mm -hmm. and not unsustainable which the, the three new laws um, as they stand um, will and farmers are saying it and they are very right about it that the new laws um, will make uh, uh, farming completely unsustainable and farmers small farmers will be left with no choice but to sell their land and also India's food security will be threatened because the essential commodity commodities um, uh, there's now a framework where uh, how essential commodities can be stored uh, earlier you could not stock up um, right. and uh, wait for uh, prices to go up to release food grounds and even that is now changed restrictions have um, gone so um, even the food security of India is uh, compromised mm. through these and that's why the farmers are protesting you know, there's there's also these two narratives that that um, that are in the media. You know, one more profoundly is about you know the 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 poor farmers that you know wouldn't be able to survive these three new laws. But there's also this other narrative where you know um, quote rich farmers are also protesting, but you know in order to keep their livelihood, in order to keep doing what they're doing, essentially, you know, is there a balance to be struck between these two narratives in order for us to to fully understand no, I'm, 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 it's a good question it's a good question but let me begin with um, um once again that stark statistics uh, there are 140 million farmers in india and 86 percent of them are small and marginal mm. so we are talking of a hopping um, majority of farmers with less than five acres of land very very small uh, units right. the new farm laws proposed to rest, 
restrict restrictions on sale and purchase of uh, food grains, uh, on stocking of the essential commodities, and they are outlining a framework of contract farming, which is actually paving the way for corporate farming, where big corporates will enter, they will take these small farms, and mm -hmm. then uh, corporate farming farming will happen as it is happening in um, several countries, um, including um, the US, Canada, but also in countries like Indonesia, uh, where farmers have been pushed out of farming. So farmers fear, and rightly so, that the reforms will make their farming unsustainable. and uh, once the government withdraws the minimum support price guarantee, um, they will be left to the private sharks um, and they will have to accept the price or they will have to accept the price, whatever is offered to them uh, near home, um, and uh, which will um, again lead them to make huge losses, which they are already making. Mm. So, so small 86% who form this um, um, bulk of farmers are protesting. Mm. There's a small chunk of large farmers also who are protesting because how the farm laws were passed last September in a session in parliament. It was passed on the sheer dint of arrogant power. Mm. There was no discussion. There were, these bills were introduced, for instance, on September 14. Um, um, introduced on 14th, um, uh, presented in the lower house uh, the next day. Uh, then there was uh, a Saturday, Sunday, and then presented in the upper house and passed uh, through without any discussion, sent to the president for his assent. And they, by 27th September, um, a gazette notification had already come. So starting from September 14th to 27th, in less than two weeks, suspending um, any democratic process, the farm bills were bulldozed, which affected uh, fundamental transformation in how um, farming will be done in India. And this um, uh, hubris, uh, the, uh, the the uh, which this process displayed mm -hmm. was not lost on anyone. So even bigger farmers um, who are not exactly um, affected in the same way as uh, small farmers are, mm -hmm. are also protesting because the indignity which um, um, this process heaped on farmers. Uh, so today the farmers are not just fighting for three laws but as they say they are fighting for a million reasons um, mm -hmm. um, one of the uh, very celebrated poets in India who returned his uh, highest national award uh, to protest against these farm laws um, he wrote um, a poem uh, which uh, said uh, the title is it's not only about so uh, in this poem, which is a longer poem, he said that hard labor never hurts. Uh, it's the indifference. It's the neglect from apathy uh, from where springs this large movement. Right. And uh, to say that uh, this is where it hurt. It, it's not only, only the economic backbone of the farmers, which is being broken. But as I said, the sheer dint of arrogant power Right. that the king can do no wrong. 
uh, that um, and when the farmers were also told by when they protested and still are being told no these laws are for your good you don't understand you are being misled uh, you don't understand and they say no we understand we understand that these laws will reduce us to perennial casual labor in the unwelcoming cities and we are resisting the process so so that's what is um, actually forming uh, not only their economic but also the dignity yes. which has been hurt so much in the mm. process You've talked about, you know, one of the solutions for the agricultural industry, which is sustainability. Is there any other solutions that might help shape India's farming industry right now? Yes, of course, there are alternative models um, of uh, making uh, farming sustainable. This is not the only model which is being pushed. To, um, or bulldozed uh, through these farm laws. So I, I think the first thing is for the government to take back these laws, repeal them because um, they are not acceptable to India's half the population. Um, and then the government should make uh, help make uh, farming sustainable through investment in agriculture um, sector, monocultures to be stopped, let the diversity of crops be back, let there be more ecologically sensitive cropping systems that exist, and uh, so that farmers are able to have more control over their lives and more control over the climate. Um, and also it makes it better for, um, at the moment, pollution, climate change, uh, the uh, water tables going down. Everything is creating a monumental crisis for a country of the size of India. Mm. It's so densely populated and then it's so poor. Right. Uh, so every policy actually, if it is not um, made with all these factors in mind um, is, is, is really a catastrophic policy. Um, so things need to be done very, very differently. Uh, but first by repealing these laws, uh, which are taking, hastening the process of uh, ending farming the way it exists now and releasing uh, workforce from rural areas to come and work in the uh, urban centers to become um, factory laborers or in India's service sector on poor employment or just join the ranks of the reserve army already unemployed which are vying with each other to get uh, these small crumbs in urban centers. What do you think the world can take away from these these current protests? Because I'm sure these are not gonna there's not gonna end anytime soon and the world is watching. So what, what do you think we can we can take away from this? And I think the solidarity uh, from across the world has been uh, such a welcome step. This is first time that this movement has attracted so much solidarity, as I mentioned in the beginning also, how unions have come up, how diaspora and various other um, um, actors have um, contributed to it. I, I think there's a lot to learn um, from this movement for all, of, for all of us. I'm not a farmer, I'm, I'm a scholar, but I learn every time I go to these camps and I feel like going back every day 
uh, I learned so much from there. So I think, first of all, uh, let's stand up for farmers and um, uh, join their demand for the repeal of these laws. Um, crushing freedoms and rights in one part of the world actually has an effect everywhere. So if Indian farmers, the millions of them are crushed today, it will have implications for how poor people are treated elsewhere also. So the world has to learn from this, uh, to resist, to stand up. Um, the corporatization of agriculture is a bad idea. It's a bad idea because the hands that feed you, you can't cut them. And um, uh, it, through corporatization, you will only cut because corporates stand for profit and for nothing else. Mm -hmm. uh, so a post-corporatization um, of uh, farming, important to learn also how to organize um, look at this massive mobilization of people which has turned a, a protest against three farm laws into a movement into a larger people's movement through a very raw energy a very calm confidence which right. you see on the borders which you go and also another thing to learn from this movement is to mobilize women women hold up half the sky and it's their presence which has made the farm movement look so big bigger growing and formidable and um, lastly the uh, the the lesson which this movement um, has um, given us is to stay peaceful a peaceful movement is much hard to get criminalized we know that protest in every form in a number of countries which are turning authoritarian where there is a sliding back of democracy like in india and several others all movements are criminalized but and if you have to stop criminalization of movements and uphold the right to peaceful assembly and protest the movements have to stay peaceful and this farm movement by staying peaceful have given the world um, a hope um, and something to be celebrated is the hope which this um, uh, farmers protest has given us and they have challenged the um, indomitability of the mighty um, will of uh, the regime by mm -hmm. saying another way is possible so they've given us a reason to say Zindabad, um, as we say in India. Um, um, so, so this is what the lessons for um, the others are. I'm learning a lot from this too, as well. As you said, you're also learning from it as well. Um, but I just want to thank you, Dr. Singh, for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, I certainly learned a lot, and I hope our listeners can learn a lot from this too and continue reading and, and doing research um, about these um, protests in India. Thank you. Thank you for your interest um, and spending time with me listening to mm -hmm. my narrative of the movement. Thank you.